Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Ney. Another fantastic interview. And this interview is so timely because I've got uh, Kristen Donnelly with me. Kristen is a woman who is thinking a lot about diversity and equality. And these are these are words that are so bunted around and uh, for some people in the world, that sounds like a oh, woke and bullshit and, and, and the other camp and the other people are saying, well, actually look around and let's talk about these, these problems here and let's not get distracted by, by maybe political opinions. But these are two distinct camps in this world. And in some countries, they are a bit more marked than others. So how the hell can we bring such often opposite and often toxic people because of their ingrained opinions, how can we bring them together onto the table? So this would be maybe the, the key solution for us to get out of a lot of shit in this world. So today I've got Kristen with me. Kristen, welcome to my show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a great honor. Uh, and indeed, this is our take two. The universe had in the past tried to, to not get us to talk. And I'm so pleased that that both Kristen and I are, are a bit stubborn when it comes to that. <laughs> so here we are finally doing this interview. Uh, Indeed. Kristen, Kristen, I mean, it is how did you become interested in diversity and equality? I mean, you're not waking up one day when you're six and think, hey, you know what? One day I'll do a TED talk and one day I, I will, you know, I'll go out there and make a different world. Nah. How did it all Well, ironically, out? I started telling people that when I grew up, I wanted to change the world when I was around seven. Um, <laughs> I was a year out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's the earliest my family can remember me saying that. Um, but in a way, I've been raised to always be thinking of other people. And when you have that kind of posture, when your family has that posture of, what is our impact on others around us? How do our, you know, there's there's a couple different ways it can go. You know, one you have, like, we always have to perform for the Joneses mm. and it can get really, really toxic. Mm. I'm lucky that while my family was very clear, like my maiden name is Nielsen and like I was raised to be a Nielsen and their expectations with that name. What really came through more than anything else is that I should leave this planet better than I found it. I should leave every interaction with people better than I found them. That my purpose of being on the planet is to progress that arc of justice that is that is bending ever so slowly. And so from a young age, my family was very outward focused. When I was seven, my parents bought a company in a significantly under-resourced neighborhood in the uh, American city of Philadelphia with the entire expressed intent of creating jobs for people who are traditionally quote unquote unemployable. So folks just out of the penal system, folks in halfway houses, the deal to work for our company, and I'm now the co-owner with my brother, we're on to the second generation. The deal is that there's always at least one position in the building where all you have to do to work there is show up sober every day and on time. And we will teach you everything else you need to know. Our deep belief is that people make decisions but more often they have decisions made for them and everybody deserves as many chances as they want to change the narrative caused by that combination of choices. 
And so from a young age, not only was I shaped by this company and the stories of the people that worked with us and the reality that, you know, my friends in the suburbs were getting cars for their 16th birthdays. And I was deeply and intimately constantly aware of the privilege of that. My brother and I say all the time in American baseball terms, we were born on third base and we know it. And so our job is to always make sure to do the work to get other people on to base. Um, so, which would work with cricket too, for anyone, like the bases still work in cricket or in rounders. Um, and so it's been a natural progression. So I was raised in a faith system um, that definitely also talks about outwardly focused acts. And so that contributed to it. And then I was a youth worker for a long time and you can't work with teenagers without realizing that they are different and passionate and that judging them gets you nowhere and loving them gets you everywhere. And then that fed into a training as a social worker, which fed into a PhD in sociology, where I learned just really basic, this is how humans work without without moral judgment. Let's strip back all that stuff. This is just how people work. And if we truly understood, this is why folks tick. This is how they work together in community. This is how they do what they do and strip away our moral judgments upon their decisions. Everything gets a little bit easier to understand. And so it was this kind of very natural progression into when I was thinking about how I could best use my gifts and talents to further the mission statement of our company, which is to impact lives and create holistic wealth. How could I do that is I could talk and offer trainings around the idea that every, every human is a human, different people are different, and we've got to ask more questions and make less assumptions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. What an upbringing. What a beautiful altruistic and, and, and thinking outside of the square uh, upbringing. Um, when was your company founded? 1991. Okay. These were not necessarily uh, straightforward times. And Philadelphia, from memory at that time, um, was pretty much a deprived inner city kind of place, was it not? It was. And there's huge sections of the city that now still are. And right. we are in historically like one of the most historically under-resourced and ignored neighborhoods right. um, that has been that way for since before the race riots of the 60s. Um, and it, it used to be where all the textiles were made. Um, and it's when the textile factories all left, nothing else came in to replace them. Uh -huh. So it's been really under-resourced, low employment opportunities, um, things like that. And so we are intentionally here. What is your company providing? We one so it's multiple multiple divisions. Excuse me, but the two that are located in Philadelphia that are the most um, you know regular in a way make one of them makes dyes and colorants, and we provide for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, for instance, we make the stain that diagnoses cancer. Uh, one of the key stains in the diagnosis of cancer. For anyone who knows histology, we make hematoxylin. Um, uh, And then our other company makes high-grade epoxies that, like, for instance, fix pipes on submarines when they burst and they're underwater. We make, like, a two-part epoxy that you can fix the pipe with so that the submarine doesn't have to surface and put them in danger. Um, so it's really niche stuff. It's not anything that, like, anyone else makes. My dad just bought this failing chemical company in 91 and turned it, um, with a partner, turned it into 
um, kind of the multi-divisional, multinational thing we've got now, where we all do different things. Some of us are manufacturing. You know, I run a an empathy education and training division, but everything is drawn together by that mission statement of impacting lives and creating holistic wealth. And obviously, it is financially lucrative. It is. Yeah, we're doing okay. Yeah. You're doing okay yeah. through what now? If you think 1991, you have had so many upheavals in the United States, the 2008 financial crisis, you've had mm -hmm. all that happening here. And you would normally say, I mean, how many business went, went either bankrupt or had to lay off most of their staff, uh, etc. So you weathered all those storms by actually focusing on diversity, equality. So let me put an educated guess out there. You are helping people on or your co-workers, your your the people who are employed, you're helping those people on a level that is so valuable to them that they will stick by you, uh, stand by you through thick and thin. Is that fair to say? We certainly hope so. Um, and we have a lot of people who have been here for over 10 years. We've mm. never had a financial layoff in our 30 over 30 year history, and I don't think we ever will. And um, we've, we're very blessed that the particular products that we make, you know, mm. unfortunately, it doesn't matter what recession happens or that COVID mm. hits, everybody gets cancer mm. um, and needs the cancer screening dyes. Mm. Uh, we make the dye that diagnoses glaucoma, for instance, and everybody has to have their eyes checked. So we've got some, some niche products that keep us really, uh, that keep us a little bit safe. Mm. But more than anything, what, you know, my brother and my dad would tell you, you know, all the economic stuff where we're pretty recession proof, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But I like to think that it's that the universe has rewarded us just a little bit for treating people like people <laughs> and for giving them for giving them a, a, a leg up. Now, we have made a ton of mistakes. <laughs> and my brother and I have learned a lot of the ways that my dad did and did not do things when he was a solo, um, you know, solo printer for a lot of years. Yeah. I'm not saying we are perfect by any means. Good Lord. Um, my employees outside the door, I could like parade them in here and they could all tell you the ways that we have screwed up. But at every point in at every point, what we try to do is center the humanity of the person in front of us, whether that's our customer, whether that's our employee, whether that's the person on the street who keeps parking in the wrong spot. What we try to do as a family and as a leadership team is center the humanity of the person in front of us. And we found that if we do that as a discipline, if you remember that the person in front of you is a person it becomes a lot harder to become a complete and utter asshole to them. <laughs> and it becomes a lot easier to seek solutions rather than animosity. It's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. I'm just trying to compare that in with the organization in which I'm working now. And I have to say that, that, on paper, there are similar values. They are beautifully crafted. They are beautifully uh, displayed on walls. Um, and when I then look at the reality, how people are worked into the ground due to the pressures onto our system, mm -hmm. the healthcare system here, um, yeah. I have to say, bloody hell, burnout is either just one working day away from many people or... Yeah people are in the middle of it. So yeah. how do you 
do you circumnavigate such things? I mean, you're, you're lucky uh, that some of your products are are recession proof, but what would you advise um, others, other people maybe in in to, in a position of certain power where they have to look after a team and the stresses are mounting and they themselves are uncertain if there's a paycheck in a month or two months time. That's not a healthy environment. That's a lot of pressure. And often enough, the, there is there's anger, frustration, resentment um, that is coming out. How do you deal with that? Well, first of all, I will say that if you are somebody in charge of other people and they are checking their email at 10 o'clock at night and they are sacrificing family time for your organization, you need to take a really hard look in the mirror and decide why you think that your time is more valuable than theirs. And why is your company more valuable than them as a person? And what changes can you make as a leader to keep work at work as much as possible? Now, there are some industries where that doesn't happen, mm. like PR or entertainment or medicine. Mm. But I don't buy for a second that there's not creative solutions out mm. there, mm. that there's not ways to work with the individual person. For instance, we have, my brother and I have a absolute, we don't, I am sure some of our employees have their their company emails on their personal phones, but we intentionally do not provide corporate phones because we don't expect that any of our, any of our employees should have to use their phones after hours. They shouldn't have to check their email. They should not be calling customers. That is our job. That is our job. We signed up for this you signed up for your family and we want to make sure that you can take care of your family. And it is our job as owners to create an environment in which you can be the best person holistically that you can be, which means we want you to show up here and give us as much as you can give us every day. Some days it's going to be 110%. Other days, let's be honest, it's going to be 40% because there's shit happening. <laughs> but we want you to show up as often as possible. We want you to show up with your full self every day, whatever that means. Yeah. And like, if, if we are overworking you, that is our fault. And we need to know that, or you haven't told us that you're answering emails at 10 AM. And so I 10 PM. And so I can't solve that problem nice. for most. So there has to be communication so that we can come up with creative solutions. Now, I was actually just talking to somebody who is literally there in entertainment and they're, they're a talent agent. There is no time boundary. That's really allowed. So one of the things that we talked about them doing, for instance, is saying like, okay, well, then that means like you don't have to work in the office more than two days a week. Right. And so if you, if you have a half an hour in the middle of the day and you can take a walk or take a swim or do something right. like personal, <laughs> you can do that. We can renegotiate our time. The way that we currently think about an 8 to 4.30 job was set up for the Industrial Revolution, where you, you cannot, you could not, and still manufacturers, like my, my folks couldn't work from home in COVID. They can't make dye in their living room. Mm, correct. Like, so it's set up for manufacturing and for agriculture. Mm. Very few jobs are the way that they were in 1912. And I mm. think, I mean, if, if for no other reason than we now have penicillin and liquid soap, I think we can get a little creative and innovative because the world's a little bit different. <laughs> but some of this is getting rid of 
really specific corporate policies. I respect that a lot of my HR colleagues will say, write everything down to the letter. I hate that. Our HR policies here are really vague because every person is a person. And stuff may need to be flexible. We don't have anybody here right now caring for an elderly parent. But once we do, I mean, in the building, we do on our team in general, but we don't have anybody here caring for an elderly parent. But we have a lot of folks caring for kids. Mm. And so if I said, I have a policy that you can't, that you only get so much time off a month for caring for, for attending your child's, you know, doctor's appointments. And I wrote that down. What would that be for the people who are caring for their spouses or for their mm. parents? And the caregiver relationship is just as important. Mm. People same, are people. True, 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 true. I mean, I love the focus that you, that you put onto the individual at the same token there is there must be limits somewhere where you are saying well actually um you are paid for 40 hours or whatever your contract is mm -hmm. um or if it is per per rata of whatever you are achieving oh for um, sure so and, and on how that do you front draw like, these boundaries oh for sure like my so what we found is that if you treat people like people they're going to show up for you like employees exactly Exactly. And so you don't have to draw quite as many boundaries mm. because they draw them for themselves. This is the same thing where like data has shown you don't give people unlimited PTO because they'll never take it. Mm. The ones what's, that are worth your time, PTO? the ones that you want, uh, sorry, paid time off. Right. So like there's a movement in the UK and America to just tell people you can take as many vacation days as you want. Oh. And there's a lot of data that says it's actually terrible because the people <laughs> who you want to take the vacation days don't take any at all and bring oh. themselves out. <laughs> And the people that you should fire anyway yeah. are taking all of the time and screwing the team. So it's not actually doing what you want it to do. Oh, excellent. People need boundaries and they'll create them for themselves if they have to. So part of my thing is, and I've never worked in, I've never worked in the public sector. I should say that. And a lot of my advice may not work in union environments. So like there's limits to all advice. But in a small business, which to me, well, according to the United States definition is anything under 250 employees, and that's 97% of American businesses are small businesses. So if you as the owner, if you manage 75 people, can you sit down and have directly 75 people? No, but I think each person should only be managing about four people at a time, realistically. So you can sit down with them and say, what does it look like? For like how many sick days do you have rheumatoid arthritis and you need to get an infusion every month? Okay, well, then I don't want to charge you sick days because you'll be out of them by January. Mm. So how do we reformat this? How do we make sure that your body and your soul can work here? And I'm not punishing you for a disease you can't control. Wow. If wow. your kid needs to be picked up at five o'clock at night, which means that you can't work to 5.30. Okay, cool. But I still need you to make this 40 hours. So let's figure out a different way. Can you give me three days a week where somebody else picks them up? Mm -hmm. And then those other two days you come in early. Or could you give me some email time on a Saturday? Mm -hmm. And we make it work that way. What? Or sometimes we just decide that 40 hours a week, office, most office workers don't need 40 hours a week to get their job done. Mm -hmm. And we switch to merit-based gradients instead of hour-based gradients. Here's your task. 
when are you getting that done? Can we have a weekly check-in meeting to see where you are in all of those things? And then I don't care what hours you work because you're getting stuff done and you are internally motivated because I have made sure to hire somebody who believes in my vision, <laughs> has ethics and characters of themselves, and will motivate themselves if I treat them with the dignity and inherent worth that they are granted by the fact that they are humans. Does it work every time? Absolutely not. Mm. Do you still have to fire? Do you still have to fire people because they lie or it didn't work out or they're the wrong culture? Totally. Do we all need to fire people quicker than we do? Yes. Mm. I, we go back to a lot around here, a Brene Brown quote that clear communication is kind communication. And one of my driving factors as an owner, as a boss, as a human, as a wife, is to be kind. And so lots of people say like, oh, you're a straight shooter and that's really great. I'm like, but everybody should be. The world is literally and metaphorically on fire. Why are we playing games with people? Tell them what you need, ask them what they need and go from there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But for that, you need clarity. For that, you need to actually sit down and think far wider than many entrepreneurs and many bosses actually do. They are focusing yeah. too much on, on either numbers or um, certain subsectors, sub sub things, uh, rather than standing back and looking at yeah. the whole of the business. They certainly, most leaders don't stand back and look at the whole of themselves. Oh, they, no, rarely. Because exactly. that's tiring, hard, and exhausting. <laughs> but that is where the work should start. <laughs> that 100%. is Because then once you actually develop the empathy and the understanding for yourself, once you've got that insight, then you actually realize, huh, maybe that person there who at the moment is going through X, Y, and Z might actually, you might just, deal differently with this person than rather say hey come on man you're two minutes late what the fuck get your ass in the gear um so i 100 percent uh am convinced that every good leadership starts with putting good habits into yourself into your own life and holding yourself accountable um yeah, completely agree and that's because if you look at the, the for example, entrepreneurs, um, the suicide rate amongst entrepreneurs is four times as high as a matched cohort out of the normal population. Okay. Yeah. So that's not healthy. So for all of those leaders out there, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of them in my job, in here by doing a show all that kind of thing yes we want to achieve things yes but at which price at which price <laughs> walking yeah. over over the 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 broken <laughs> broken bits of your relationships of uh, of your dreams <laughs> oh god uh it's just we are doing stupid things as humans um yeah. how how have you addressed those things in yourself because inevitably there has been trauma there has been shit happening in your life um how are you looking after yourself in order to be a good terribly leader? most days but i'm trying to be better <laughs> um i've been in and out of therapy since i was 11 which helps 
a lot. I've been given a lot of tools um, to kind of know what's happening in me. Cause that's really what therapy is, is learning how to listen to yourself and learning how to read your own body and soul signals. And so I've been in and out of various therapeutic relationships. Um, I have an incredible team in my division, which is called Abby Research. I have two particular people that work with me, Aaron and Eleanor, who also happen to be two of my best friends. (laughs) And they mind me. And if they are concerned, they are not shy about voicing it. My husband is the same way. Um, My mother is the same way. I outsource my mental health because I will work myself into the ground very quickly. And so I have learned in my nearly 40 years of life that it is better for me to give other people the stop sign and to trust them when they say I need to stop that I need to stop. And so there's that. Um, that. I also I also practice Pilates, which is really my favorite form of movement. I read a lot. I play video games. Um, I travel as much as I can. I eat food that brings me joy and not food that someone tells me I shouldn't eat. And at all times, I try to wake up every day and ask myself the question, what would make me happy today? And I chase that because most of the days, what would make me happy is serving other people. What would make me happy is is landing a talk where I get to share these ideas with a lot of people. Uh. What would make me happy is making a sale that means we can provide for our folks Um, because my job is my passion Mm. um, and that works for me. But what would spark joy? And how do I realize, you know, we talked a little while ago about the burnout and the boundaries and and something I didn't say, but that connects with this is that a huge part of practicing empathy. So asking more questions and making less assumptions is learning what you can and cannot control and then making decisions accordingly. So as a leader, I cannot control the attitude, mood, emotions, or life of anyone who works for me. Can't. All I can control is the environment I create for them when they walk in this door. Hmm. Do they know that they're safe, listened to, and trusted? Because fundamentally, every human wants to be seen, heard, and understood. That's what they want. At our Hmm. core, if you don't want those things, there is some sort of of emotional or neurodivergence that is outside of the, you know, the, the realm of what we understand the rest of humanity to be. You're a sociopath or... something of the like I hate the word normal so I try really hard not to use it but um (laughs) we all crave to be seen heard and understood Mm. and so every day I try my best to see hear and understand myself and I try to allow other people to see hear and understand me as well which is Mm. work Mm. and like Stefan I'll be honest there's days I get up and I'm like I'm not doing the work today Today, I'm staying in my pajamas and I'm playing Stardew Valley and I'm going to be crabby to everybody. Um, But part of the practice of clear communication and empathy is looking at my husband and saying, I don't want a human today. And he's like, okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I should also say, though, in the middle of all that, I don't have kids or pets or plants. Hmm. So part of my ability to the work that I'm doing is the decision to not have to keep anything alive but me. If you've made other decisions... And you have to keep other things alive. Your life will look a lot different than mine. Still, still, um, whilst you're right, there's very much you are black and white in some aspects. And um, maybe not all lessons can be transferred. The principles, however, remain the same. 
I'm a man who quite happily loads everything into today and more bring it on I can't take it I I I what is the old saying um I grow under pressure uh, that all those kind of macho I come on um and that is me that is a big part of me and I am like that give me pressure and chaos and uh, typically I grow I grow into it I take the challenge and we're gonna have uh, we're gonna sort that shit out and I'm proud of that ability. But will that work every day? Hell no. Um, so I've lived a life of boom and bust. And I nowadays recognize that so much more than in the past. Mm. And it's little things. My my family was just overseas. They are full of chat lag. So they're awake now at one o'clock. And, you know, it's, they're quiet, but they still, I'm... Um, with my PTSD, I hear everything. So my nights at the moment are shit. And I therefore, last night I came home from work. It was, what, 5.30, 6. And I went to bed and watched Mindless Telly. Instead of doing anything else, I just looked after myself and just took time out. And it didn't matter. It's, it, it was a, I was just waiting for the sun to set that I actually can go to bed. To, to to actually switch everything off and go to sleep. Didn't matter that it was seven o'clock uh, in the evening, okay? So it is sometimes you really have to put the brakes on and look after yourself, truly, truly, truly. And if that does not conform to any norm, to any of your desires to be always like a Coca-Cola advertisement, young, fit, sexy, and if I just have one more, whatever you take, um, and then I'm going to be full of energy back out there. I'm sorry, guys, that bullshit does not work. Okay, there are some days when you're naturally like that, take them as a gift. There are other days when you're in the serene zone, take that as the bigger gift. And get used to a word called JOMO, the joy of missing out, the joy of actually saying, you know what, everyone else, go home now, because I need that time for myself, JOMO. Maybe a principle that we can get a spread and sprinkle a bit out there. It's actually a principle out from from investments, um, because if you're if you're investing in property, you're investing in in in, um, in crypto. There's so many deals, so many deals you could do, but actually, no, that just makes you sick. No, there's the joy of missing out of actually. Now you know what I'm actually quite happy. So maybe, maybe, how can we foster that? How can we foster a more um, and more self-focused in an in a in a positive way, self-focused uh life amongst entrepreneurs in business. How would you do how would you try to do to encourage that in others? So one of the answers for me always is to think of context. So and to kind of take it back and ask more questions. So why are we so afraid of stopping? Why can't we ask for help? Why can't we do these things? And what I've discovered is, especially in North America, and I think North American business culture has, American business culture in particular, has leaked everywhere else because it is incredibly financially successful, the American model of doing business. Um, it all goes back to a very specific theological viewpoint of the first settlers, the first conquerors of the, of the U.S. called the Puritans. And they fundamentally believed that you are only a good person if you worked hard. 
Yeah. That rest was for when you were dead and that you had to do it alone. <laughs> and they, uh, they, pro- this is why they ended up being incredibly financially successful because that makes a lot of money. And sociologists have called it in the past, you know, the Protestant work ethic and the spirit of capitalism. Max Weber did his original kind of gear on that, trying to figure out why Protestant countries were more were more financially stable than Catholic countries. And some of the nuances of all of that have been disproven or proven depending. But as I look around the world, the the core of capitalism is that you can sleep when you're dead, uh-huh. that you're a good person if you work hard. And that you have to do it all alone. That's the core of capitalism. And that's the cure, uh, the core of puritanical theology. So you have to understand that the reason it feels so wrong is that your culture has programmed you to believe these things. That we all live in capitalistic societies. And even the ones that claim to be socialist are still capitalist. And what that all kind of looks like on the planet right now is that we all have internalized that asking for help is weak on some level. You may be somebody who's super into collaboration in one area of your life, but I bet you, if you really dig deep, there is one area you will never ask for help in because you believe if you ask for help, it's a moral failure. (laughs) So maybe you're super collaborative at work, but you never ask for help with your kids Uh because being a good parent means never asking for help, which is a lie based (laughs) in the theology of a group of people that have been dead for a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) And we can choose to believe different things. So once you understand that you're not the crazy person, you're not, you're not weird or wrong for wanting to stop. Your body wants to stop. Your culture has told you that you can't. So being countercultural, it me is hard and exhausting and intentional. You're never just going to accidentally become rested. Hmm. You will act, you might accidentally become become wealthy because that can happen, but you're never going to accidentally become rested. So what you need to do is understand that any instinct that says you are only worth your output is a lie. Any message that you have onboarded that says, if I ask for help, I'm weak is a lie. We didn't live in individual houses the way that we do now, honestly, again, until the Industrial Revolution. Mm. And the the super, super wealthy people had these giant homes, but they still had a ton of people in it to help it run. Mm. So we all still fundamentally lived in community. And it really was post-World War II where we all began to bifurcate into our own individual little things. And we began to mark success as owning your own fully detached house. Mm. Well, the problem with that is that it gets a lot harder. It gets easier to hide and harder to ask for help. Mm. So if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, but I've got this newborn kid. I can't just like go and take a nap for an hour. You're you're right, except you're wrong because I get because you should have someone in your life that you can hand the kid to for an hour. And if you don't have somebody in your life, couple questions. Do you actually not have anybody in your life or are you just telling yourself you don't have that person? Mm-hmm. What can you do to build a network or a community? What can you choose to get into? Whatever you are into, other humans are into it too. And there may be ways to build around you people that can help. Your instinct to put yourself last is not impressive, it's imbalanced. Mm, Beautifully said. Wow. 
Wow. I lived and worked in, in West Africa for a while. And I remember that uh, watching a scene where some girlfriends came together and one of them had her baby with her. And they all sat there and there was sort of a good dozen of them in that restaurant. And that baby was cuddled and reached around and moved over there, moved over there. Baby had a great time. Mum had a good hour where she didn't touch that baby. That baby was in others' hands and got got carried around. And it was so beautiful to see. Um, and we and, all get like moments of that. And I yeah. think I was just in, in Northern Ireland with, with my husband's, with mine and my husband's family, mm. my husband's side of the family. And we were talking about the difference between the kids that were born during COVID and the kids that weren't. Because mm. the kids that were born before COVID are totally used to being passed around. And like they're raised uh, by everybody. Uh, but the kids that were born during isolation are still very fearful of anybody who wasn't in their pod. Uh, and so like I go over and our elder nephews are like all over me and talking and asking questions. And our nieces that were born during COVID are very hesitant to uh, be taken by the stranger. And uh, so it's it's one of those things that like we can take lessons from a little kid in a way. If you are enculturated to trust more people then you will do it in other ways. Mm. I was part of a church growing up that had a lot of children's programs. My parents routinely outsourced parenting to other people. They put they put other adults in my life to make sure that I had mentors. Yeah. I went on sleepaway camp. I did all of those things that like you see suburban American kids do in the movies. But the upside of that is that I learned really quickly that people outside my family are trustworthy. Mm. And that my family might not be the only definition of family. Now that and is, so if something painful is happening, I can ask questions and maybe find some healing somewhere else. Uh -huh. So that's one of the, so my ultimate, my ultimate thing is if you are sitting here and you're listening and you just feel like a burnt out husk of a human, I would encourage you to do three things right now. One is to breathe. Bizarrely, breathing is one of the things we forget to do well. We will lean into like shallow breaths really quickly. Mm. What we need is deep breaths. Incorporate breathing practice into your life. I know it sounds cheeseball. I know it does. I know it sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds silly. First thing you do in the morning is sit up in your bed, at your table, do something, put an alarm on your phone, and for three minutes, just take deep breaths. Start there. The next thing I'd ask you to do is drink a lot more water than you are right now. And the third thing I'd ask you to do is pick one thing every day that makes you happy and do it. You're not going to be able to control or like maybe outsource your childcare right now. You might not be able to make big sweeping decisions to completely reformat your existence, but you can breathe for three minutes, drink some more water and do one thing that makes you happy. And then once you get those disciplines in place, you can do more and you can build more and you can be more intentional and you can think about, am I working for someone else's labor right now? Or am I working for my own joy, my own fulfillment, my family's life, my whatever? Am I a cog in a capitalistic machine that's interchangeable and that no one really knows me? Or have I crafted my life to be somewhere where I matter? And if you look at that from a purely biological point of view, what is happening in your body is that your body actually has needs. 
and it mm-hmm. has all kind of needs. And a clever person put those needs into a pyramid kind of form. And you have got the on the, the bottom, the foundation, those are the really survival needs. That is those things that you actually have enough fluid, enough food, shelter, fire, warmth, security. The moment that these things are not in existence, then your body is is already in a, in a fight and flight mode. And often we are in this mode chronically. And with that, if you want to be at a pinnacle with the, the understanding of the world and all the spiritual power of a deity. Yeah, my bottom, when you actually don't look after the after the very simple things down there. So let's look at your recommendations there. Be more hydrated. Well, guess what? That's what your body actually needs. And when you're constantly dry, there is a constant knowledge of your body. Bloody hell. Here we need to be, we need to look around for water. Um, because otherwise we're going to die. That's deeply, deeply ingrained, guys. So when we say drink three liters of water, that means actually drink three liters of water. And you might be amazed. Too many programs out there, uh, programs in the sense of, for example, um, work programs that looked at the incidence of severe headaches impacting a business. Um, they looked at uh, what can we do and not drugs or anything, but just behaviors. And they found that indeed uh, exercise and hydration was the easiest thing to do and had the most bang for the buck. So those people in a big company that actually um, who were suffering from headaches and who followed those simple things had 10 days, 10 sick days less compared with those people who were not involved in that program. 10 sick days. That's a lot of hours for an employer where this employee is backed on. So from a leadership point of view, that makes a lot of sense. From an individual point of view, do you like to have headaches? I don't. In all fairness, between you and me, I often run around with this low-grade headache where I have to say, bloody hell, have I hydrated? No, I haven't. Okay, so water. I love what you what you emphasized there. What was the other one? Um, the just remind me now i've got a mental blank is breathing breathing oh please and the shallow breathing that's the adrenaline kicking in so if we want to switch that off take those deep breaths and deep breaths with that i mean imagine that that air is like like water and you're filling that vessel up and that vessel goes that are from here to your belly button and if you pour water into a vessel, well, it first goes to the very bottom. It doesn't stay up here. It goes to the very bottom. So deep breaths. And with that, my tummy just came out. So what you're doing is you're actually stretching the vagus nerve. You're stretching the parasympathetic nervous system. You're switching off the fight and flight. So here you go. The water switches off fight and flight. The deep breathing switches off fight and flight. During the opposite of fight and flight, healing can occur. Good thoughts can come into your brain. It is a complete healthy reset that you're doing with some very simple things. So when when Kristen is actually focusing on those things, which might sound corny and what the hell is she talking about? There is some good science behind that. So no two ways around it. I 100% agree. Do I do it? 
I do it more in response to, how shall I say that? I haven't yet ingrained it as the habit it should be. Okay. And so I'm as guilty as charged. Okay. I am, I'm still running around some days, tries like a dry, like a crisp bullshit. And um, the breathing, no, the breathing I'm quite good in. A breathing I've mastered to a degree that I can switch off an anxiety attack with two free breaths nowadays. So I'm proud there, but I'm not so proud about the other aspects. So it only shows. Well, I just went and like one of the things I did was I bought, um, so in America, it's 64 ounces. That's three liters. So I bought a 32 ounce water bottle. Oh, wow. This big yeah. on Amazon. So I know I just have to drink two of these a day. <laughs> that's Good it. Point. You know, so the other thing that I Same would say trick. to do is like, what is the barrier to doing those things? Yeah. So like for me, I hate the taste of water unless it's ice cold. So I bought a, a highly rated water bottle that keeps things as ice cold as humanly possible. Cool. So I solved that problem. And then I hate having to get up and down a bunch to refill my water bottle. Amazing. Cool. So I solved those two problems. Instead of just saying, well, I really hate the taste of water. I went, okay, how can I solve this problem? So like, I have a friend, Eleanor, I mentioned her already, who lives in Canada. And she has a real thing for like really wet socks in the winter. And used to get very, very annoyed that she would have to, and she was in and out a lot during the day for her job at the time. And so she would just like, like take off wet socks and leave them all over the place. And then would find that like, she didn't have socks to wash. So she was complaining about it forever. And then she realized like, well, what if I just put a basket right by my door? And I take off the socks right there. And then when that basket gets full, I just wash the basket. So that's what she does now. And the sock problem that was stressing her out is solved. Isn't it? So it's so often like, such little, little things that stress tiny you. Tiny little things. Isn't that it's crazy? It's tiny little things. <laughs> so like, why, wh like, what is preventing you from breathing yeah. deeply? Yeah. Figure it out. What is preventing you from... I don't know, enjoying your life. What yeah. is preventing you from not doing the hobby that you love and you know gives you life? Mm. Like, think, ask yourself more questions. Mm. Investigate your resistances mm. and see how many of them can really be rewritten. Mm. Because the more you work on yourself, as we've already said, the more you'll understand other people. And the more you understand other people, the more you'll understand yourself. And it's this beautiful cyclical chrysalis towards all of us living a fuller sense of being human mm. together but that comes in layers i mean trauma comes oh, in yeah. layers healing comes in layers and when I, but, it's not it's never happens in a straight line oh shit no no on the contrary um and sometimes those detours are actually so important and mm. i find i find in my own healing journey that the detours and that the, the 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 maybe new traumas that made me stop and think, what the hell, um, were exposing other areas in which I had the privilege to grow. Mm. And if you look at it from that angle, rather than, oh my God, I mean, bloody hell, over the last six months, probably every six hours, something new happens where I think, what and it is crazy i mean sometimes i'm just laughing nowadays i'm just looking oh, yeah. around and say what more shit can happen in my life and yeah. 
but I'm I'm no longer getting upset about it. I'm just saying, okay, fair enough. And I often compare it with with being in a, in the ocean, and you're swimming, and there is a big wave coming towards you. Um, you can be really, really, really angry about that wave. Uh, you can shout at that wave. You can do whatever you want. That wave doesn't care. <laughs> and so seems to be fate. And so seems to be the the lives that we are at the moment that I'm certainly living. Um, there is one shitstorm after the other. But mm -hmm. the the I can't do anything about a shitstorm. But I can I can at least think about how do I want to react. Uh, listen to it. I choose how I react nowadays. There's the immediate response that I can't control, the, the kind of fight and flight or the kind of, what? <laughs> um, I can't control that, that's me. But I can then control that I can stop for a moment, take a deep breath, think, okay, what does that really mean? Yes, there's something really nasty happening out there in the world. Okay, does it really right now, right now affect me? Do I really need to be ready to fight the saber-toothed tiger? Or is that actually, hang on, I'll take a deep breath. Yes, that shit has happened, but either it has happened somewhere out there or the implications are not yet even known. So we often get so upset and so focused on things that have never happened or will never actually happen and never come true. Um, therefore, Guys, again, to come back to the stop, think for a moment, assess what's really going on, and then take action. This sequence of events is so powerful, but it's training that you need. You need to actually really, uh, it just doesn't come naturally to you because we want to respond immediately. That's what we, what we want to do. It's like reflexes in our lives. No. So we need to actually uh, create this habit of actually stopping for a second before you open your mouth thinking for a moment before you reply to that email uh maybe even not even sleeping on it before you reply to this email that's something that i had to learn the hard way but with that you take back the choice you take back the, the privilege how you respond and how you show up in your own life are you the monkey that immediately responds uh, in a predictable way, often with anger and resentment, um, to outside influences? Or are you the ringmaster uh, in the circus who is maybe a bit more in control and controls how the whole show actually is run? Nowadays, um, I think I've, 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 went up the ladder from monkey to bearded lady and i think i'm sort of now coming towards close to the ringmaster <laughs> from now and then i take the position of ringmaster <laughs> more or less success <laughs> but we all have got these choices okay you have got a choice to make every second how you respond how you look after yourself and therefore how you show up in your life and we we must never forget that it is a privilege um, to stop and think and then take the action that you think is appropriate. Chris, I, one thing I want to come back to, you said that from the age of, of 11 onwards, you had therapy. Mm -hmm. And 
which means you have seen your fair share of trauma. Otherwise, obviously, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be in therapy. Um, so to a certain degree, I'm actually really pleased for you that things happened to you early and that you therefore had the chance to be exposed to other people who maybe know a little bit more about emotions and about human actions, interactions. Um, at the same token, you said that this uh, Puritan drive in us now, I'm a man, I don't need help, or I'm a woman, I can do it all. Bloody man, I'll, do, I'll show them. I'll do it all myself. Super mummy, super lover, super wife, super boss. Uh, yeah, right. What, how can we make it normal to have power teams in which we are the dumbest people in the team? People who can guide us, help us, who are maybe a little bit further down the path. How can we introduce this culture? By doing it? I know that sounds, I'm not cheating, I promise, but I think so much of it is just making the decision to do it. So like mm -hmm. in the States, um, I know, for instance, there are lots of professional organizations that offer mentoring. Mm -hmm. So like get a mentor, start that process. Mm -hmm. If you are somebody who is parenting a child, put them in scouts or sports or theater or something and start enculturating them young that they have more than you as a parent. Um, and figure that out. But the more you can seek out multi-generational relationships, multi-experiential relationships, the better it's going to be. I am hesitant to say be the dumbest person in the room because I think what I'd rather say is find other people who are good at the things you're bad at and who can teach you how to value those things or who can complement your skills um, and open yourself up to the fact that there's always more for you to know, that you bring things to the table that other people need to know, that your voice matters because they need your voice, but also be open to the idea that you need a lot of other voices too, yeah. and that none of us are done humaning yet. None of us know what we're doing. We're all figuring it out as we go along. <laughs> and so find trusted people, whether they are you know, a personal relationship, like a mentoring or a friendship or something like that, or they're a podcast or a book, or, you know, we have this model of emotional intelligence that we model it on a trampoline, actually. And we say that the people that you that you bounce with the, the bouncy bit are where you get new ideas, and you try things out and you bounce around with some people. And so like, for instance, for me, one of my biggest bouncing partners is C.S. Lewis. He died before I was born and um, is, is I would have never crossed paths with him, but his ideas about humanity and faith and community and the afterlife shape a huge amount of who I am and what I believe and what I see and how I experience the world. And so on times where I'm not sure of my faith, his works are what I return to sometimes, you know, and that's, that would be kind of how. There's a line from an Abbott Brothers song that I quote all the time, which is decide what to be and go be it. That's decide perfect. what you need and go get it. Decide what idea you want to learn more about and go do it. I think we spend so much time trying to figure out what the best strategy is for something. <laughs> do it. 
Do it. <laughs> Analysis paralysis. Exactly. <laughs> we know that in the business world. Oh no 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 no. Oh, I don't. Oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready. That's right. If so, some people, you're ask probably me, not. Yeah, exactly. Some people ask me, well, oh, what do I need to do to start a podcast? And I say, start a podcast. Start one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. My, I know my friend Crystal. Like her podcast <laughs> is um, she a twenty five dollar microphone off Amazon. That's where she started. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Like, <laughs> just do it. Just yeah. decide what to be and go be it. Indeed. And acknowledging within that, that you're going to screw up, that you're going to make bad decisions, that you're going to yoke yourself with people who are toxic and you're going to have to learn how to walk away from them, mm. that you're going to grow in ways that you never anticipated, that you're going to encounter joy in ways that you could have never it like ever dreamed of. Life is going to happen when you decide mm. to stop letting it happen to you mm. and start happening in it. At the same token, 80% of success is showing up. And mm -hmm. I've done my best interviews. Some of my best interviews were done when I was so not in the mood to show up, when I was tired, when I was there. Uh, um, by just showing up, I ended up with a smile on my face afterwards by actually saying, well, A, I showed up. B, look what came out of it. Um, and... I must say, this is this is something that should be just as much a principle as as for you to actually admit at times that you don't show up because you deserve that break. So the, yeah, you the, sometimes you can't show up so you can show up the best the other way. It's like I correct. said, some days you're here at 110 percent, and some days correct. I know you're here at 20. Exactly, exactly. And the yeah. 20, maybe then you need to recognize, hang on, this is burnout out, burn out time. Uh, no. You should be home. If you're, yeah, if you're vomiting, please go home and work from home. Yeah. Exactly. Touche, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. touche. And that might be emotional vomiting, okay? So Yeah, oh, exactly. Good. No, yeah. brilliant. Kirsten, you're an amazing, uh, Kirsten, you're an amazing uh, woman. You are. Oh, thank you. Um, I love your attitude. I love your your insights. But they came, uh, they came for sure on the basis of many mistakes that you have made. At the same token, this we need to make mistakes, and we need to make it a culture that that is okay to make mistakes. Um, but don't make the same mistake six times, just to be sure. Okay, one time and learn from it. For crying out loud, I think that is the yeah. point. Um, and if we actually accept it and and celebrate our successes, also celebrate our failures, um, do immediate debriefs and actually see. I mean, for example, uh, I'm an anesthetist, so we work uh, anesthetist surgeon and a team of nurses and technicians. So and we do a list with patients, maybe all day list or a morning list, and then we do a debrief afterwards. Um, and most often, because we are such close-knit teams, everything is smooth. And the only thing I say, look, thank you so much, guys, for a lovely day. Um, that's our debrief. Um, or sometimes, hey, look, let's actually talk about that. I mean, a lot of things went pear-shaped. How can we improve that? Communication. It, open communication and inviting everyone to bring up criticism, bring up praise, Please, I'm on the F both, okay? And again, it's, and when someone gives me praise, uh, nowadays I'm no longer pissed off about it because I think, oh, does he normally think I'm bad? 
that he now needs to praise me or some bullshit core belief that, oh God, how many women can't take compliments? Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Um, nowadays, I say, thank you. Thank you for whatever is being said. And I'll take it as a little tiny celebration there and then where a smile creeps on my face and I say, good, okay, that's nice. Um, these are the things where you can actually build yourself up. So if you actually do that with other people and you start creating this kind of culture that you praise a lot, that you make a point going past the cleaner and say, oh, new hair color mm, suits you well. Um, can you imagine that you make this person's this person's uh, day just by you doing that little thing? How nice is that? And if you create a culture like that, it will sooner or later echo back to you and will engulf you. And will the whole thing will become a movement that you might have started with a little snowball. But by the time you look around, there's a big avalanche going through your, through your enterprise. And that is, I think, that is true leadership by us uh, being more human and accepting that we can't be perfect, that we have the privilege of making choices. And the more we choose um, consciously to live intentionally, I think that would be a beautiful, beautiful world. So therefore, Kristen, I absolutely agree with your, with your attitude. I think we can change this world. We can do it slowly but surely by leading by example, practicing extreme ownership uh, and modeling those behaviors that we would like to see in our employees, in the people around us, in our superiors. So now it is, is uh, Kristen, you're an amazing woman. Wow. Thank you. Um, who do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, you have grown this far, but who will the new Kristen be in a year time, in five years time? What are your goals? Oh, wow. I don't know. But one of my life models is a man named Paul Farmer, who um, is one of the founders of a group called Partners in Health that believes in um, healthcare for all as a human right. Mm. And he just tirelessly throughout his life, which unfortunately ended earlier this year um, in a sudden in a sudden death, held at all times that everything was possible if we worked together and that there is no postcode on the planet that meant that you were worth less than somebody else. And his tireless belief in that has saved hundreds of thousands of lives along with his partner, um, Dr. Kim and Ophelia Wall and, and a lot of other people, partners in health. But I I look at him as somebody that I could, that kind of energy is what I what I want is the like Alexander Hamilton energy of like, I write like I'm running out of time, but I also know how to stop and take breaks and pass off and yeah. build teams and do yeah. all those kind of things, which is more of what Dr. Farmer was able to do than, than Alex. Cause I definitely have that. Like I'll, I write like I'm running out of time. I work like I'm running out of time and I feel like I'm always running out of time. Um, and in some ways we are, but I have to remember that in a lot of ways we're not. And we move farther together. Um, and so I hope that, you know, we've got some tangible goals. We're going to write a book next year. I'd love to actually find a publisher for it and yeah. get it out there. Um, you know, I have some dream stages I'd like to take. 
um, really love, you know, for our our podcast that we're, you know, reformulating right now to really make an impact and, and get into the right people's hands. Um, but more than anything, my like hope someday is that I meet a total stranger who somehow some idea I told somebody once on a podcast, in a personal relationship, on a TED talk, that it helped them. That's it. That's what I want to do. I just want to help. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And there's no doubt that with that attitude, you will help people like it or lump it. If people today gel with you here uh, on our podcast and our YouTube uh, video, uh, where can they find you? We are at Abby Research, A-B-B-E-Y Research on every social because we're not creative. So YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of them. Um, and our website is argooddoctors.com. That's beautiful. Abby, where does the Abby come from? I need to ask. It's the Abby Color and Chemical is the company that my dad bought in 91. I see. And so then we just, um, and they called it Abby. They spelled it A-B-B-E-Y. So it would be the very first company in the white pages. Because <laughs> when they started it in 1960-something, white pages Absol mattered. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. So, I was wondering so about -B -B -E -Y. the name. So uh, Yep. No, most of my life, people have called me Abby or thought I was Abby. And like, no, he just bought it. I was already Kristen. I was born in 1983 and he bought it in 91. So, priceless. yeah. Oh, priceless. But that was already good marketing then. I remember those yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, Kristen, you're an amazing woman. Thank you so much for being a uh, guest on my show and for brainstorming uh, with me towards maybe living more intentionally and more maybe being a more effective leader. Uh, many of your thoughts were, were worth their weight in gold if we truly can incorporate them into our daily lives as personal uh, beings, regardless what roles you have got in your life, as well as, as in a business. Again, regardless which roles you have got in that life, you can be, you can make, so much difference you have no no idea but yeah. you need to give yourself permission to do so and you need to ask yourself the right questions now that's beautiful Kristen, thank you so much for coming on to my show thank you and you guys out there look after yourself live with passion and make this world a better place look after yourself Dream Bye.